that opportunity was not there. But you know how kind of it's like black people that can't play spades, you'd be like, <gasps> you know, your job can be an employer or it can be an investor. And I chose to make my employer an investor. What would the Van Dross say? Oh, yeah. All right. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle Podcast, where normal people with extraordinary lives share their experiences with you. All right, so I'm excited to have our guests on today, Dr. Shante Holly. So I'm going to read a quick bio here. Dr. Shante is the host of the Whole and Complete Podcast. She has helped thousands of listeners silence self-doubt and achieve powerful breakthroughs. Leveraging 20 years of experience as a college professor, she's also a highly sought-after speaker and teacher that routinely delivers high-value content to audiences all over the country. Most recently, as the keynote speaker for the Vanguard Financial's HBCU Partner Symposium, Dr. Shante has emerged as an important voice in the wellness arena as a health ambassador for the CDC, CDC Foundation a partner with American Red Cross, a salsa instructor, and creator of Salsa for Black Girls, offering pop-up salsa workshops for Black women who want to learn the fundamentals of salsa dancing. So with that, Dr. Shante, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate you guys. So I have 101 questions. I don't think we'll have time to go through all of them. <laughs> Give me your time. <laughs> top five? Okay, okay. Well, we'll start with our top five. We'll start with our top five. So um, in terms of being uh, uh, in, in the space that you're in right now, in terms of working with others to help them achieve breakthroughs, what does that mean exactly? And then we'll, we'll go a little bit further back and talk about how you got into this. What does that mean exactly? Helping others achieve their breakthroughs. How do you do that? Helping others achieve their breakthroughs. So essentially I am a certified life coach and what distinguishes me from counselors and therapists is that when you reach a place in your life where you are stuck and there is a disconnect between where you are and where you want to be, counselors and therapists have a tendency to kind of go back like to your origin story and say, how did you come to be? And how did your mindset start to form and all of that? And I think that that is valuable work. I have a therapist. And so I am all about that life. However, that is a, that tends to be a very lengthy process as opposed to coaches. We delve a little bit into your origin story, but then we start saying, okay, now where do you want to go? And let's look at all of the barriers, the mindsets, the obstacles, emotional and mental that might be keeping you from getting where you want to be. And let's kind mm. of do some strategic work so that we can essentially move forward. Um, and so it's a little bit about unpacking and understanding, but it's really a results oriented kind of action based I am committed to action. And so once people get unstuck and they actually get some traction and start moving, then that is the breakthrough point where they're like, aha, I have officially um, kind of come to a place where I recognize where I need to make some mindset shifts or I need to set some boundaries or I need to do some, some healing work. And now I can actually move forward and accomplish my goals. Love it. Love it. Talk about your background and how you became interested in wellness and self-improvement, being a life coach. Were you like a young girl playing with your dolls and you're like, wait a second, that guy over there needs some help. I got to figure out how to get into this industry. How did this all come about for you? 
Heck no. I'm a classic <laughs> introvert. Um, I literally was at, at the sink washing dishes one day. Okay. And I literally felt like I heard the voice of God. And I know that that sounds like crazy, you know, because it's like, what does no. God's voice sound like? But it's good. It, it, <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't sound like. <laughs> right. It wasn't like, you know, the hallelujah angels opened up the windows of heaven and were like, champagne, we need you to do this. It wasn't like that. It was more okay. like I was, I was minding my own business. And all of a sudden, I just kind of felt this strong intuition that said, you need to start a podcast. And I was mm. like, what? A who? What? Is, what is a podcast like? Because mm. I started in 2015. You know, nowadays, you know, you can't. Um, everywhere you go, everybody's a podcaster. But when mm. I started podcasting, podcasting wasn't even a teenage boy. It wasn't even 13 years old. Okay, like it was young. And so, so you're an OG. I, I am an OG. Okay. Respect on my name. Okay. Um, so an OG, and he was like, "What is a podcast?" And and you all are podcasters. So and I was not about that tech savvy life. I didn't know what microphone to use. What the heck is an audio wave? Like what is Adobe audition? Like, are you kidding me? Like it was all of that, but I couldn't shake the notion that that was what I was supposed to be doing. And I'm a college professor by trade. And I, again, that same intuition said, your calling is bigger than this classroom. And so I, from there kind of had like this public started to do this public facing, um, piece about wellness um and faith but honestly if the origin story of that question like how did i get here uh childhood trauma i feel like when people experience trauma it will do one of two things it will either stymie stifle debilitate and paralyze you uh for years to come if not forever or it will give you a tremendous will of empathy to understand people and it shifts you away from asking that question, like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with him? What is wrong with her? To, hmm, I wonder what happened to him. I wonder what happened to her. And so that curiosity, um, along with this impetus to start a podcast and kind of fill the gap for people who were wanting to actually achieve bigger and better things, but found themselves uh, struggling with self-doubt, lacking faith, didn't have... Um, the wherewithal or the strategies to kind of put that together. And that's how I got started. No, that's cool. And and you, I, I like the way you mentioned it. You said you were a closet introvert who has a podcast, classic, classic introvert <laughs> who has a podcast. And so just continuing upon Dre's question of how you got started, but he also in their bio mentioned your salsa. Is that a therapy sort of salsa or is that just your hobby or how does the two worlds meet or did one come out of the other or were you a salsa dancer expert and you just happened to do a podcast or are you a coach who said, you know what, I need to do a podcast or, or I need to do a salsa. Is it an outlet? How did the two merge? How did the two merge? So when I was six years old, so I grew up in Chicago and on Channel 11, WTTW, they used to have ballroom dance competitions. And I was fascinated. I mean, like, wow. You know, people had like cartoons like Tom and Jerry. I had like ballroom salsa dance competitions. And I was like, yes, I'm about that life. But, you know, a little black girl on the salsa out of Chicago, that opportunity was not there. But I always had an appreciation and love for dance thereafter. And when I turned 40, you know, when you become a woman of a certain age, you start to reevaluate things about your life. Okay. So when I became <laughs> a woman of a certain age, 
you know, I was like, you know what, what am I doing intentionally and consistently that brings me joy? Where in your life have you given yourself permission to pursue and chase joy? And I realized Mm. that I hadn't. And so I said, well, what has been on your list? What's been on the back burner that you've always wanted to do? And the answer was salsa dance. And the minute I hit the floor, it was like, it's like Latin stepping. That's it. You know, it was like, (laughs) it was like all the things, like all the pieces, like a part of, of you that you, that was like waiting to be activated suddenly sprang to life. And Mm. it became something when I looked at all of the other things that I did in my life, you know, things I was doing for work, things I'm doing as a parent, things I'm doing as, you know, in all these other roles as like a daughter and a podcaster and all of that. I'm like, but this was the thing that was for me. Okay. Like Mm. it was the one thing that was for me. And ever since I started um, taking lessons or what have you, my dance director, she's like, I need you to teach because she said, I knew from the first class, I knew from the first class, I said, she is going to go far. Like she, she is a natural. And so black girl salsa, when I look around the the ballrooms and the dance rooms, it's primarily a a Latin population, um, either Latin or white or Asian. And it's really interesting because salsa started in Africa. So the roots of salsa dance, is in Africa and it started with the congas and then the tumbao, you know? And so it's like, but I don't think that that's known. I don't think that that's like widespread information. And so me launching, you know, black girl salsa is an effort to reconnect black women to both joy and culture uh, through Afro Latin art form. Did, did you find growing up in Chicago during the eighties, I lived in Chicago. Uh, I was out in this, in, Naperville, Bolingbroke area, and my family from there. I know. I'm sorry. It was <laughs> Southside. It was, I, I don't know if you're as old as I am and remember old Chicago, the amusement park that was inside. Do you remember old Chicago? So it wasn't Chicago. So I used to go down there from Pittsburgh, but I was fascinated and intrigued by my cousins because they were steppers and all the vibe of stepping. Were you a stepper and do you find that is similar to your salsa or it's totally, totally different? Because I've only seen steppers. I've only seen steppers in Chicago and I haven't seen them in other places. But go ahead, Dre. I have to piggyback to to Smiley's question. Uh, So as you answer his question, also let let us know when you went to your parents and said, I want to learn how to salsa. That they respond with, do you mean step baby? Because we don't salsa around here. <laughs> it was, you know how like back in the days when your parents would tell you we ain't got no McDonald's money. You right. Know, I'm gonna hold hamburger better than McDonald's. That's right. <laughs> you don't have McDonald's money. You definitely right. ain't got no recreational. There we go. Okay. There that was that opportunity was just not on the table. It was not in right, the budget. Right. Um right. But stepping, man, that is such a Chicago thing. And it's completely different. Like the rhythms are different. Mm. uh, The footwork is different. But I will say that it's almost one of those things where I don't don't know what kind of artist you got. So I don't want to step on no toes. I'm not trying to open (laughs) the worm. But you know how kind of it's like black people that can't play spades. You'd be like, (gasps) Like, where'd you grow up? (laughs) Who are are your parents? 
Give me their number. Let me call them and fix this. But that's kind of how it is. Like growing up in Chicago, like in the 80s and 90s, it's like you don't know how to step. Like you don't even know, like the bait. Like, come on. You know, so that's one of those things. Like you a real Chicagoan, a real black Chicagoan. Uh, you you need to know the fundamentals of stepping, you know, and that was and that wasn't even any sort of formal engagement. It was when you're cooking with your family during the holidays and in the kitchen, like, you know, and the music is going, then that's what you all are doing. You stepping, you mm. bopping, you twisting, you turning like that was how I grew up. And so that's how that piece came to be. So I will say that dance has always been a part of my life. But salsa mm. dance just, you know, it opened up a whole new dimension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my dad grew up um, in, oh, shoot, uh, I want to say Hyde Park. And my aunt lives mm-hmm. over, she passed away a few years back on uh, off Indiana. But anyway, so stepping was a part of, you know, my life, you know, as a kid. Uh, I lived there briefly. So my dad moved when my parents got married, but then I lived there in, in Chicago again briefly after I got married. Um, when I lived in Atlanta for a bit, me and my buddy who was from Chicago too, we'd go to, uh, they didn't have any stepping, stepping clubs in Atlanta, but different clubs where they play music you could step to. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. go out there and step and it was like, it was funny because back then it wasn't prevalent in Atlanta. No. Uh, do you live in Chicago still currently or where do you live now? Are you in so Chicago I still live, or no? I, feel, I live near Chicago. So now I'm okay, in okay. So I'm about okay. She's in Bolingbrook. But stepping is it's a whole, it's, it's, it's a whole culture. It's a whole, you know, it's, it's something, something uh, incredible. So for those listeners that haven't experienced it, you know, I encourage you to check it out. Cause so, so coming back to you, Dr. Shante. So when we think about, again, um, you know, achieving breakthroughs for your, your clients, uh, tell me about how you go about or how you approach the topic a topic of self-doubt with your clients or listeners in general. So self-doubt, it is amazing. I mean, in a way that's sad and kind of sobering, how many people lack confidence? How many gifted people lack confidence? And it's amazing how many people who have much less talent and far fewer gifts got all the confidence in the world. You'd be like, like Keith Sweat, something, something just ain't right. You know, so you start trying yeah. to figure out, <laughs> right. trying to do math. And whenever uh, I come across a client that tells me what they want to do, and then I start to say, okay, well, here's what it requires. As soon as I hear them say, I can't do that. I said, okay. Let's pull that thread because why are you you establishing this limiting belief? Who told you you can't? Mm. What makes you think you can't? What has happened in your life that has deposited this this notion of of lack and scarcity into your life? And I found out fundamentally that, oh gosh, like 80, 90 percent of clients that struggle with fear, confidence, self-doubt, is almost always rooted in some form of lack and scarcity because a lot of them grew up in households that had parents or caregivers that said, we don't have, we don't have, you can't, we don't have. And I don't think we realize how pervasive those messages um, kind of carry out. And sometimes it's, it, it, the, it's not ill intention. It's not malicious. So case in point, when I think about, uh, 
my ac- academic and educational journey, the one regret I have, because I love it so much now, is that I never traveled, did study abroad. But mm. in my family, it was like, you going where? You need a, a passport to go for what? You wow. know, they snatch people over there. That's you know, right. That's in the right. news, you know, you, you would have thought I was saying I was going to Beirut, you know, like, like war-torn. You know, they right. were like, uh-uh. Because travel right. in my family and my culture, you know, was down south. We was going to Ohio. We was going to visit some cousins and them. And all of that happened within the, uh, what they call it, int- the, the contiguous United States, okay? Mm-hmm. Wasn't nobody hopping on planes, okay? Like my parents today, and I love them, my parents today do not have a passport. They just mm-hmm. have, you know, if they want to travel, okay, we're going to California or, you know, we're going to uh, Hawaii, but like mm-hmm. Mexico, never been. You know, it, it. so it was that sort of thing. And so, and I remember, uh, Gosh, this was 2017. I had just uh, achieved a, a pro- promotion to full professor, which is the highest rank you can in the college. I was the first black woman Congrats. at the college to do it. Congrats. Thank you. And I was like, you know what? I said, I'm always sweeping my accomplishments under the rug. I'm going. I'm going to London. I said, I'm going. I'm mm. going to treat myself, and I'm going to go to London, and I'm going to sneak in a trip to Paris. And then it was like, who are you going with? I said, I'm going by myself. Ciao. <laughs> like what? By yourself, you're not scared. A woman out of out of the country by yourself. Here, here, have you ever seen Taken? Did you see that movie? Right, right, right. And so, when I'm talking with clients about self doubt, it's because a lot of them grew up in those types of households. Like there is this mm. uh, saying that people will not allow in other people what they have not allowed in themselves. And mm. so, a lot of my clients have dreams and aspirations, like for entrepreneurship, but they grew up in families that said, "You better get yourself a real job. You better get yourself a good mm. government job with some benefits mm. and some stability." Mm. You because you're not coming back to my house. So it was right. when you're raised with that sort of thing from people who love mm-hmm. you and people that you mm-hmm. love, it can mm-hmm. be very um, difficult to kind of break away from that messaging and say, I can still love you and not listen to or not accept the messaging that you have given to me, even though it may have been spoken in love or out of, you know, a desire for my best interest, but I don't have to receive that. And I'm going to make my own decisions and pivot and go in another direction. If all of that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. A couple, couple things come to mind. One is um, for those they were saying you're, or surprised that you were leaving to go out of the country by yourself. Must not realize you're from Chicago. If there's an individual that can handle themselves. Yeah, I'm like, man, too, baby, I can put a lock in the side and you can go get down. Right. Okay. Like, I'm resourceful. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, you talk about, you know, uh, like you, you know, most people have parents that come from a generation where, you know, they are a product of their environment, what, they, what, what mm-hmm. they've been exposed to. You know, it's not their fault at all. Um, and at a certain point, you know, that level of comfort is hard to break. We talked about breakthroughs earlier. Um, and so, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing against for those that are from that generation that have that mindset. It's what they know. It's the exposure they had. Um, right. What's great about us, you know, is that I tell my son this all the time. My job is to make sure you're a better man than I am. Your parent, our parents' job, you know, whether they take it on knowingly or unknowingly, let's make sure that we are better people than they were. 
to and, and this is this is what you're exhibiting by traveling the world and doing what you're doing now. Um, so let me bring it back around now. T- talking about breakthroughs again. So can you share an example of one of your clients that had a breakthrough? What does the breakthrough look like um, for, for those that, you know, are wondering, you know, I don't, I, I don't see myself changing. I don't see how a life coach could, you know, turn things around for me. What does a breakthrough look like that you've actually, you know, been, um, that you facilitated? So, oh man, which one do I want to use? You know, you never know who's going to hear these things. So let me make sure right, I right, right, right. relevant detail before they be like. And you, and you can merge a couple of them together. You know, you can be, you can be creative. Yeah. To yeah. protect the innocent. There we go. So I had a client um, have a client because once she reached the breakthrough, I was like, I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. I have loved working with you. And she was like, what you talking about, Willis? Where you going? I was like, <laughs> where are you going? Right? I said, babe, I said, you right. did it. You did the work. Like, she's like, no, Dr. Shantae, right. like, we, right. We, right. we go together real bad. I was like, oh, okay. All right. But at the time, what she was struggling with was, I guess what younger people would call a situationship where she was emotionally invested, um, deeply emotionally invested with an individual who could not, would not, did not give her the, ultimately the relationship, you know, that she desired. And she was in this pattern of performing and pleasing and like, see how good I am, see how great I can cook, see what I can do for you and that sort of thing. And it wasn't being reciprocated. And so when you are in a healthy place and in a healthy mindset, you can say, okay, I'm recognizing there's an asymmetry here. And this person is not in a place for whatever reason, because the reasons don't matter. It's the reality that matters. Okay. Reasons are really (laughs) not your business because you're the one that's dealing with the reality. And so the reality is, is that this this relationship is lopsided. This situationship is lopsided. It's it's not mutually beneficial and I need to break away from it. But she was so emotionally invested that she could not divest. She could not let it go. And so this is when she came to me. And so this is where I had to, I'm like, okay, I need more information. I need more data. And long story short, come to found out, find out that we were able to pull that thread and and draw a line straight to abandonment issues from her father. And so a lot of times when people are abandoned by a caregiver young in life, then it sets up this anxiety where they feel like, okay, maybe if I do more, maybe if I'm say less, maybe if I perform, maybe if I put please, maybe if I perfect myself, then Ultimately, daddy won't leave. I didn't have any agency. I couldn't change it back in when I was a child. But now that I'm adult, relationships that are important to me, I know I can do something to make you stay. And what they real, what they don't realize they're doing is they're trying to change the ending of a narrative that cannot be changed. And so when you bring people to that sort of realization, because they don't even realize, um, I always press it. I say, okay, now that I have this information, here's what I think might be happening happening. I think that there is a version of you, a younger hurt version of you that is in the driver's seat right now. It, you are still the little girl who is broken up about, you know, your father's inconsistency and his departure. And you are trying to do things to, um, change the ending of that narrative. I said, and we need to get you to a place where 
the adult version of you, the version of you that you know deserves better, the version of you that you know um, has more, like that this is so beneath, okay, your value that this is unacceptable. And so we spent some months working on that. And when she was finally able to walk away and have that, that difficult conversation and say, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. And here's all the reasons why I'm done with this. And like shut that door and like didn't open it again. I have a pink tambourine that sits on my desk that I use to cheer on my clients. She got all kinds of pink tambourines that day. It's like, girl, girl, let the church say yes. I'm so proud of you. And, and now, you know, she's continuing to do the work because now there's residue. So sometimes even when you make a a break like that, you know, you still have residue because you've got to do the healing and you still kind of got to, you know, do some cleanup and some maintenance, but that's a prime example of a breakthrough. It's like, there was a person, there was a situation, there was a dynamic in my life that was keeping me from living the best and highest version of myself. And I have to find the strength, the tools, the strategies, the wherewithal to move from this place of where I'm accepting less to a place where I know that I deserve more and I'm not available for anything less than what I deserve. When you look at your clients, would you say the, if you were to break it down in percentages, do you do more romance coaching, uh, professional coaching, spiritual coaching, or it's across the board when, like the example you just gave was an an excellent example of uh, someone with a breakthrough, but Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you do mostly career coaching? Like I, I really want to get this promotion, but I don't think I can. And, and you help them get over that doubt or I'm stuck in this relationship and I don't know why they don't love me as much as I love them. And I, I want to break away or I want them to marry me or, or, or is it across <laughs> the gamut? It really is across the gamut. Um, So I would probably say career is like the, the least amount. So I have clients that range in age from, 22 to 62. Um, So I have college students, recent college graduates that are like, okay, I'm entering adulting. Quote, that word kills me. I mean, it kills me dead. I'm like, adulting? Really? Okay, millennials. <laughs> Back in the day, you know, we're being grown. Okay, but that's right. That's right. No transitions and dealing with separation anxiety from that college life. And, you know, um, also might have like some family difficulties and it's like, I want to have a better relationship with my parents, but here's all the things that are getting in the way of that. And all the way to people who are like, cause actually when I started podcasting, so my, the name of my very first podcast was called branding for believers. And I was all about um, personal branding strategies for people who wanted to package themselves in ways where they could monetize their gifts, build audience, you know, segmentation, positioning, all of that. And, but what I was adding to it, layering on top of that was a faith component. So I still have clients that are like, Dr. Shante, you still doing branding because I need help with my content. I need help, you know, developing, you know, what are my, my content pillars and how am I going to, you know, build and grow audience and all of that sort of thing. So it really does run the gamut. So some people know me from my OG days as a brand development coach. And then uh, more and more people more recently are coming to me over the ment- with the mental health and wellness uh, disruptions in terms of self-doubt, lack of confidence, um, setting appropriate boundaries and that sort of thing. Do you, do you find also that do you find um, 
people have a varying level of self-esteem versus self-confidence, meaning the self-confidence is their exterior wall, but they don't really match up with their interior belief of themselves or they go hand in hand. So I also have clients that are caught in what I call public success, private mess. And so outwardly they project all kinds of, you know, bravado and confidence and I'm every woman It's all in me. Okay. But then when you talk about the quality of their relationships, it's like, Hmm, okay. There's an incongruity. So let's talk about that, you know, or there's a disconnect because if, because this kind of woman who believes these things about herself would not be accepting you know, this type of, would not be lowballing herself. If you're a high value asset, you don't entertain lowball offers. So why are you entertaining mm-hmm. lowball offers in your career? Why are you entertaining lowball offers in your relationships? Why are you entertaining lowball offers in the standard of, of treatment that you accept from other people? Why are you accepting lowball offers from your family? Hello, somebody. Um, because yeah. <laughs> um, my podcast, Whole and Complete, is a series-based podcast. And by far the most popular series that I have ever done on that show is called Mama Trauma. Because people are like, man, Dr. Shante, you just said the quiet part out loud because, you know, in mm. black communities, there's this silencing mechanism. You can't talk about the business. OK, um, you can mm. barely talk about the business inside the family. You know, there are things people in the family know that you just don't know and they just don't take that to the grave. OK, but you certainly don't talk about the business outside of the family. And one of the things that you definitely don't talk about is your own mother. You mm. What? That is blasphemy in the black community. Mm. And mm. so and the the way that that is is reinforced is that there are lots of people, lots of people with unhealthy relationships with their mothers or dynamics that are really unhealthy that will try to police and reinforce because someone might be vulnerable enough to share it. Man, my mama did ABC and yeah, but see, that's your mama though. But that's your mama though. Like, but still like that's your mama. And so it kind of sets up this notion that mothers can say, can do, can whatever, and it's carte blanche and you just have to suck it up, soldier on, mm-hmm. you have to take it, you have to deal. And so, yeah, when there's a disconnect between who you say you are versus the treatment that you accept, even if it's from family, then we have to reconcile that incongruity. Otherwise, you're living out of alignment. You're living out of integrity with who you say you are. No, I, I like. I love your response to that. And the last question I have before I turn it over to Andre is, when you look at your population of your clients, would you say it's mostly men, mostly women, mostly black, mostly Latino, mostly Asian, or it's across the spectrum of Americans? So by and large, it has largely been black women. 90% of my clients have been black women. Um, But I recently had a a video that went viral, which is how you and I met. Like, this is how we all got together. You saw that video. Um, it was like, we want to talk to her. <laughs> and ever since then, I would have had what they call, quote unquote, crossover appeal. I'm like, who are these new people? <laughs> then booking appointments on my calendar. <laughs> and I'm really surprised by the number of men um, and not men that's trying to holler because that's a whole separate thing. Like, bro, are sliding your DMs. Oh my God. <laughs> but, but, but you know what the mindset is? It's, it's rather, they, they're, they better, it's better to get the rejection than to meet you one day and say, well, you know what? I had a chance and I just didn't take the offer. Cause you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. 
So that's right. That's right. <laughs> so they're like, let me try. I might catch her on a on a on a day where she might be feeling on me. a good day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I am not the and I there's let me say this with the least amount of shade possible. I am not the kind of woman that can be acquired in the DMs. Like Hello. Hello. I have a different standard. So, hey, hey, beautiful. You know, that one, I want, I, I've gotten, every week I get at least one marriage proposal. You, hey, black queen, this, that, and the third. And, Whoa. And, I don't get, and thank God, thank God for Instagram because they have like messaging boxes. And so not all of the messages get through. So sometimes that's why it takes me a a while to get back to people who legitimately want to do business and connect. Right, right, right. Like an Instagram jail. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. You sent this two weeks ago and I just saw it. But then when I see that message, that's when I see all of these other girl, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, right, 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 right. And I'm I'm one of those people. I, I don't know, call it old school, call it, and I, I don't know. Right. My personality is such that you're gonna have to step to me. You're gonna have to right. muster up the wherewithal and come right. to me and be like, "Excuse me." That level of vulnerability, the the willingness to get shot down, that right. I have so much respect for that, as opposed to like the kind of keypad keyboard courage, you know, with your thumbs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a different right. dynamic. It's a different and dynamic. Then and then, and then when they're face to face, they're like, uh, I, uh, or, uh, I, uh. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, no. But I recently have had um, more men, married men, that have come to me and said a word that is has cracked the ground wide open. And I'm like, okay, wow, you came to the right person because I can work with you. They're like, mm. I'm willing to be more accountable for my actions mm. and I'm willing to be more accountable for the kind of husband I've been, the kind of father I've been. I'm willing to be more accountable because I realize I've been flaky and I haven't followed through. And I'm like, well, well, come on in. There's room at the cross for you, brother. You know, <laughs> I, right. I can work with that. Right. You know, Let's schedule an appointment right now. <laughs> right now, you know, but what I can't, I'll say, I won't say I can't deal with it. What is not my expertise mm-hmm. is, and I, I recognize my limitations, you know, I'm a woman and I'm a, I'm a feminine woman. And so I don't have a whole depth of experience in what is considered a, a masculine man. But I do know mm-hmm. that there are varying hmm, portrayals out there, that there are different versions of what is considered a man. Um, I recently posted a video about men and mental health. And I said, you know, I don't think that men have the, the right in society to be fully human. I said, because whenever a man shows some sort of vulnerability, talks about, you know, his fears, talks about, you know, um, where he's feeling sad or, you know, here comes the derision. Here comes the mocking. Here comes the berating. Here comes the man. You need to suck that up, man. You need to man up, man. You need to. And so it's like, you can, you can laugh and joke. You can he, he and Kiki, you can be sexual. You can be aggressive and angry, but outside of that, you know, when it comes to, to like real vulnerability and it's like, oh no, you know, so you get kicked out of the man club, you know, and people start coming at you and talking about what kind of man you are. And so if you are in that camp, I can't do anything with that. I cannot do anything with, with, with those types of guards up. That's just not my ministry. And I leave that to the experts. However, uh, men who come to me that are willing to be accountable, and say, I recognize these things in myself and I'm finally ready to come to the table and listen and learn 
and grow, I can work with you, brother. Sure, sure. You mentioned uh, being an expert in, 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 in this area in one sense. That's my wording. You didn't say you were an expert, but I see you as an expert in this area. Well, tell me this. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your experience as a health ambassador for the CDC Foundation. So during the pandemic, and I want to give proper respect, the pandemic created a, a incalculable global loss in terms of life, in terms of income, livelihood. Uh, kids couldn't go on prom. You know, people that had busted their college students that had busted their hump to get to graduation didn't. Gra- I mean, you know, so there was just a lot of loss. Okay, at the same time introvert that I am what we don't have to go outside we don't have to interact with us what what where's my blanket and my popcorn (laughs) you know I'm a Gen Xer I was a latchkey kid we used to coming home Right, right, right. You know, our own grilled cheese sandwich and pork and beans. Right. You know, like this right. is how we were raised. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. when the pandemic happened, I was significantly overweight. You know, which was an outgrowth of my own uh, mental health and wealth journey. I'm not a, a body shamer. I'm very much body positive, but I knew that for me, it was an outgrowth of numbing and coping with food, with alcohol, and so the pandemic gave me what it gave so many other people, which is a lot of time to slow down the pace of life and really dig down into who you are, how you're showing up and who do you want to be. And so I completely transformed my health during the pandemic. And so instead of, um, instead of going to the gym, cause I couldn't go to the gym, the gyms were closed. I discovered the wonderful world of YouTube university where there are thousands and thousands of uh, workouts that you can do in the house and the parks were open. And so, and the trails were open. And so I really just completely hired a trainer. And so from, I would say March, April, 2020 to like March, April, 2021, I had lost like 60, 60 pounds. Um, I had built a lot of muscle and I was posting my process. I did an ebook, you know, about my process, you know, because I'm not a gatekeeper. Mm. And uh, some PR firms had taken note of that and was like, you know, we want to invite you to be a part of this campaign. It was called Live to the Beat, which is the CDC Foundation's um, arm or or campaign for engaging African-American uh, people to make more heart healthy choices. And mm. they said, we love what you've done. We would like for you to be a part of that. And so... I had a, a, I want to say like a four to six month commitment with them where I was creating content to engage more African-American people to do that. Um, Kev on stage was a part of that too. And so it was a really rewarding experience. And then because I was doing that kind of work, then PR companies for the Red Cross was like, hey, can we borrow you for a second? Because we're we're looking to uh, drive up blood donations. And so can you know, you use your platform wow. you know, to, to help drive blood donations. And so that became a part of that too. And so it's, it really came through from being willing to be transparent and vulnerable enough to post my journey. And it wasn't Mm. just that too. I love, I love uh, outdoor walking. Like I love it. It's how I get through podcasts. It's how I get through audiobooks. because, you know, when the pandemic came, I didn't have a commute anymore, but you can, in a three to five mile walk, you can clear a, 
books, chapters, you know, episodes, mm. you can really get through some content. And so I started inviting people. I was like, let's, let's, I said, let's walk. I said, so we're going to do a hundred, you know, we're going to do a hundred miles in a hundred days. And people were like, okay, I'm going to do it, you know? And so we did that and people were doing these walking challenges and people saw that. And so I do, at this point, I do one every summer. So this year when summer finally kicks off, because, you know, it's still cold in Chicago. I yeah, it's cold. Shade at everybody who lives in a warm weather climate, which is not my <laughs> testimony. But when it finally <laughs> does get warm, I'll be doing another walking challenge because I think it's important for people to get up, get out, get out of that rut um, and make heart healthier choices so that they can uh, transform their health. They don't think a lot of people think you have to do these big, massive things, but you don't. You just need to do small changes and be consistent about it. And you can dramatically change your health. Wonderful. Tell me this. Uh, are you still a professor? Of course. Okay. Well, tell me this. Uh, and and I'll, I'll just say, I, I, I'd love to take one of your classes. I love your energy. But uh, my question is this. Um, I don't want to go back to college. Don't get me wrong. I, I just want to take one of your classes. That's, that's a big difference. That I don't There's want to relive that. There's a big difference. Yeah, students have a lot of fun in my classroom. Yeah, I, I bet they do. I bet they do. That's why I'd love to be in there. But how do you how do you balance your various roles as a professor, as a speaker, mm. as a life coach, and um, and the creator of wellness programs? How do you balance all that? Seems like a lot. So. It's a mindset shift that I reached a long time ago. I said, either I work for the college or the college works for me. And I choose mm. to believe that the college works for me. And so okay. I have autonomy over my schedule. So I don't get, no one tells me what classes to teach. I get to choose which classes I teach. And so I choose ones that allow me the flexibility to devote my time and, and my obligation and up to the college, meet the needs of my students and, and the terms of the contract to which I am hired. And then I use the other time to build and work on Dr. Shantae. You know, your job can be an employer or it can be an investor. And I chose to make my employer an investor. And I'm like, thank you for subsidizing my lifestyle and helping me pay my bills and raise my child while I go and do this other thing, you know, out in plain sight, out in plain view, which quite honestly is very consistent with who I am and what I teach at the college, you know, so it's not, it's not like I'm being divergent. Okay. Mm. Um, I am mm. still very much a professor. I just have a much larger classroom via social media than I would at the campus. And so I think that for anybody that's kind of like struggling to make that shift. Now, granted, being a professor, we have a ton of autonomy, a ton of autonomy over what we teach, over when mm. we teach. We have summers off, you know, so that schedule is lends itself nicely <laughs> to doing other things okay to, to building platforms and not everybody has that luxury some people have that straight nine to five or what have you but i always mm. say i'm like ask the question though i'm like is there a day of the week that you can work from home uh, i said is it an hours thing where it's like well we have to do 37 hours i said do you have to do those 37 hours across five mm. straight days can you do those 37 mm. hours you know across three days like can you make it work in a way so that boxed. Think outside of the box and and see if you can find ways to um, pursue other passions and interests that you might not have the energy or the bandwidth to do because of your full-time career. Makes sense. And I'm going to pass it over to Smiley here, but one quick question is what subject or subjects do you teach? So I am an English professor and I also teach 
practical psychology. So practical psychology is a learning is about learning frameworks. So the ways in which we learn, not just how we learn, but um, thinking about our thinking. So when you think about things like self-sabotage, like procrastination, poor time management, that sort of thing, uh, lack of motivation to, to study or read or what have you. I teach students how to overcome those mental hurdles and barriers and also develop mm. our solid systems and frameworks for actually learning, retaining the information that they learn and being more successful um, overall, especially over things like test anxiety. Okay. And uh, another question for you real quick is, well, actually two questions and I'll pass over a smile here. Um, One is what's next for you? So what's next for me? So I was a finalist for the Fulbright Scholarship, and the Fulbright is a government-run program that allows scholars in America to study abroad and do research abroad. I was so close. Um, I made it past the first round, but, you know, in the end. But I still got sabbatical to go and do the, the research. And so you are my last podcast interview before I hop on a plane next week, and I will be in Europe for a few weeks doing research on blacks that's looking at uh, black people who have left the United States, uh, primarily due to racial trauma, gathering those stories and talking about the uh, connection between leaving the United States and uh, reconciling uh, racial trauma and how people are healing through uh, becoming expats. So I'll be studying wow. that. Um wow. And then also the launch of Black Girl Salsa. So those workshops are going to be coming up through the summertime and the fall. And this mm-hmm. will be uh, I'm going to do like a five city tour of these pop up workshops uh, where African-American women, really anybody. But, you know, that that's my who I'm trying to attract it to, again, make heart healthy choices to engage because people always say, well, what's the best exercise? The answer is the one you're going to do, the one that you're going to do consistently. <laughs> OK, mm-hmm. and dance is it's so much fun you know and dancing in community is just that much more fun and so i'll be doing that also in the fall and i have been convinced so this is a maybe a year or so out uh to write a book and so working with a literary agent on shopping out that project so that i can get more and more people to live this whole and complete life Awesome. The work, the research you're going to be doing overseas in terms of African Americans leaving the U.S. seeking solace, I guess, kind of peace, that sort of thing. Yes. Is yes. that is there some way we can follow that in terms of your research and your findings, or where can we find the final product, that sort of thing? Because the reason oh, I okay. ask is because, and I'm sure you're aware of this, there are more than a few people that look like us. They're mm-hmm. curious about that. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So, yeah. We're, we're, we're can those say, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, more than curious yeah. about that. And yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, of course, I have my obligation to the college. So, there will be a paper published and things like that. But I know that for, you know, just the average lay person, they're not going to get into that. So, part mm. of what I'm going to do is do a, a capsule podcast. So, you know, I'm a serial mm. podcaster, but do like a capsule podcast, uh, depending on how many interviews I get of just kind of like um, maybe six to eight episodes about the process, the reason, mm. you know, what the, the adjustments, the, the standard of living, all of that, because... Mm. I this is an interesting time in our country. It's an interesting time. There's a lot happening in political spaces. 
And there's a lot happening with respect to African-American, like black erasure out of the curriculum, especially in places like Florida and things like that. And I think that if you are a black American, a person of color, and you haven't at least thought about a potential exit strategy, if you haven't at least potentially thought about the fact that, you know, you might be retiring elsewhere, I think that this is a good time to think about that. And I think that more and more people will be looking for some sort of resources about, okay, what is the playbook? How does this actually happen? Um, So I will definitely be creating a a capsule podcast and we'll be promoting that um, as soon as it is available. All right. So before we do the, uh, uh, the final four, one last question for you. You're pretty much an, uh, seem to be kind of an open book, but what's the one thing that people don't know about you that you're willing to share? I was about to say like, bruh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to know about the down later, the the down later you stole from the corner store. I'm I'm talking about, (laughs) I don't know about the Susie Q's you used to eat, you know, the closet. I'm talking about, you know, Something you're willing to share. Did I take you back? <laughs> okay. Something that people don't know about me that I'm willing to share. So right. I have seen every... So because my brain, my brain works like a Rubik's Cube. Like it, it's always twisting, turning combinations. Like my brain is always on. And so when I need my brain to be off, I am a big fan of like reality competition shows. I have seen every single season of Top Chef, like including season 20 right now, which is in London. And I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love that. I don't have to think. I can just enjoy, you know, um, I'm also a fan of, so like my guilty pleasure, don't knock it till you've watched it. There's a show on Netflix. It's two seasons called Indian Matchmaking about this woman who's an Indian matchmaker the dating culture and an Indian culture is fascinating because of the family engagement piece. Like in Western culture, it's like, I meet you. I like you. It, we build our thing in a solid foundation. And then when things are escalating and moving forward, then you can meet my family. Then you can meet Mm. my parents. And and you tell your parents you're getting married. And tell your parents, you know, that there's a person and what have you, but in Indian culture, baby, (laughs) <laughs> day one they be like let's let's meet him i'm like oh i mean it's, it's fascinating to watch and so yeah that is that is the thing is that people would think that all i'm doing all day is sitting around like reading books like 48 laws of power you know yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and so many other, like literally i'm surrounded by books like a typical professor is like oh she's so smart and cerebral i'm like yeah but sometimes i just need to get my top chef on <laughs> watching my reality competition show sure. and not have to think about any of that no, that's awesome. Ooh, like so it. it's part of the final four. The question we have or a question, the first question is, if you can have dinner with anyone alive or dead, and there's only four tables, four chairs at the table, which you're in one chair and you got three other participants at your dining table, alive or dead, who would those representatives be and why? The Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama, his mindset. So him and the Archbishop Desmond Tutu wrote a book called um, The Book of Joy. Changed everything, changed everything for me because it was the first time that I realized that you could create suffering 
that you could be the architect of your own suffering with your mindsets. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the things that you dwell on and the things that, that you feed. And so he um, just has a, a depth of wisdom that I really do appreciate. Um, I would also invite Megan Markle. Mm. I would love, um, so I love her, her stance in terms of uh, women having voice in the world um, and the way that those voices are used. But also too, I remember when her and Harry first got engaged, I, I mentally said to myself and myself only, I said, oh, I said, I hope they make it because she's about to find out how black she really is. Um, and she did. And I would love to talk to her about that experience um, because her mother has said that that those conversations about race were really not existent, Okay. Um, during during her formative years and Frederick Douglass I would like to talk to him about his personal liberation and why when he did have a black wife he didn't teach her how to read mm-hmm. well I like that and just a follow-up oh I'm sorry just a follow-up when you mentioned Meghan Markle the weekend she got married on a Saturday I was in London that Saturday flying back from Me too. London I to went Tampa to the wedding. you you went, went to, to the, the wedding, wedding? And I didn't make it because I wasn't on the list. (laughs) Let uh, let me rephrase. I I went there just for the wedding. I was on the long walk. Her and Harry, horse and carriage went right by me. I got pictures. She looked right at me and was like, hi. That picture is still in my phone. Yes, May 19th. That's amazing. I was there. All right. All I, right. I was there. I was I was I was in the hotel room because I had a flight back to the States. And my friends mm-hmm. are like, Are you gonna stay over and fly back on Sunday? And I was like, I don't know it, Megan. I don't know how to get to the uh, to the to the wedding. No one will let me in. I didn't want to stand in the lines. So I just jumped on the plane and came back home. But I was there the weekend she got married, and you were there too. Awesome. awesome. I stood in those so. long lines uh, of the long walk. And, and actually that day for all of the, the turmoil that they went through, I can honestly say as someone who was boots on the ground that day, it was a wonderful day and people were genuinely mm. happy mm. for them. Mm. They really, really were. Um, so it's unfortunate how that all kind of came to a head, but I can say that that day, yeah, mm. it was, it was perfect. Awesome. Uh, another quick story about something you shared, Bishop Desmond Tutu. Um, mm-hmm. The story I'm going to share relates to what we talked about earlier in terms of exposure, or in this case, lack of. So I'm in New York for work, and I'm about to cross the street. And across from me, walking towards me, is Bishop Desmond Tutu. So oh, I, wow. I'm with my buddy. I'm like, dude, that's Desmond Tutu. You know what he says? Hmm. Who? I said, Bishop Desmond Tutu. He said, who's that? I'm like, never mind, never mind. <laughs> what? I don't have time right now. It's my opportunity. I am my imaginary pearls. I'm like. <laughs> so so I, I was able to get a picture with him. Um, this is back when he had the flip phones. I don't know where that picture is today, but yeah. <laughs> l- l- lack of exposure. Had he had a little bit more exposure, he could have shared that moment with me. But uh, next question for you. What's been your greatest success? What's been my greatest success? I would say making a conscious decision not to pass on the unresolved trauma of my childhood onto my child. That, so something that I say all the time, if you really want to know who you are, 
the three things that will show you who you really are are money, marriage, and motherhood. It will mm. just it will show you yourself in ways that you did not recognize. And so when I realized that there were either gaps, um, like of being emotionally available or, you know, present or what have you, um, that were missing from my childhood. I actively got in therapy. I'm still in therapy. And I made a determination that I was going to disrupt any sort of generational cycles of trauma. Um, I went out of my way to make sure that my child's life was stable. And one of the the hallmarks of that is that she has <laughs> the first day she went to kindergarten, you know, you ask your kids like, okay, how was school? She was like, I have a best friend and her name is Jordan. And I was like, oh, okay, good to God, that's wonderful. When I tell you that her and Jordan are still down like full flat tires today, like oh, they nice. like still, you know, nice. I didn't have that kind of stability in my life. Things kind of moved around, bounced around, you know, knew some people, people came yeah, in and out. But, you know, right. so I, I'm excessively proud of that. You know, it doesn't mean I've hit every nail straight as a parent because, you know, who does? But I am excessively proud of the intention behind that. Love it. Nice. All right. Here's one. What's your, what's your superpower? Something that's uniquely Chris super for you, like Superman can fly. The Hulk has, has his strength. Wonder Woman has her lasso and invisible plane. What's your superpower? My superpower is audience engagement. Meaning if there was like, if, if you fill a stadium full of people, and the main act is stuck in traffic, running late. The show is running 30 minutes behind. The crowd is getting restless. They need to put something on that stage. I can grab that microphone with no notice and be like, hello, everybody. Let's get, and I can, I can wing it <laughs> for the next 15, 20. Okay. Like who we got in the building? Where's Chicago? Well, all right. You know, like I can with no, and people are like, who does that? Who, how, how? For some reason, I have virtually no fear of getting in, up in front of crowds of people and just going for it and just being in that moment and having an engaging, meaningful, uh, robust experience with a group of people. Yeah, you know, like all introverts are. Right. It's like, yeah, like, 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 like all introverts <laughs> do. But like when the curtain closes, they'd be like, where's Dr. Yeah. Chantelle? She off in the right. corner in her fortress yeah. of solitude. Like, <laughs> where, where does it come from, you think? Your, your ability to get in front of... And, and, and the reason I ask that is because I'm very, I'm very similar in that respect. And mm -hmm. I remember reading somewhere, I think Michael Jackson was too, mm -hmm. um, but where do you think it comes from for you where, you know, on a stage of thousands of people, you're super comfortable, whereas, you know, your preference, if you had to choose, would just mm -hmm. to be, you know, alone, you know, watching a good movie or a good book. Where's it come from, the ability to do that? So interestingly, I think that introverts are good readers of energy. Um, sometimes when you are doing more of the listening than the talking, you can just kind of feel the energy in the room. And then as a professor, you know, there's always the students who are like the hand raisers and like, ooh, 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 I got the answer. But I'm also always looking at the person who never speaks up. And I'm like, I see you back there. I see you back there praying to God that I don't call your name. I'm going to call your name anyway. Okay, Heather, what do you think about it? <laughs> right, you know? right, 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 right. Um, 
And so it's, it's kind of, and then also too, you know, I'm the oldest of four children. And so it's kind of like that thing where it's mm. like, okay, oldest girl come in here. The natives are restless. I got mm. it. It's like, okay. Right, right. And just, right. and just kind of bring the temperature down or at least put people in a good place and set mm. the next person up for success. So I think it comes mm. from all of those places. Great, great, great. Okay, so you mentioned that you have a book coming out that's uh, lines up perfectly with this last question. Mm. What's going to be the title of your biography? Practical wisdom for the masses. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. That um, I can honestly say. So you know how people are like, I'm just here for the comments. If you go through, I don't know, the last 10 videos that I've posted on any given platform, Mm. this word comes up every single time without fail. They'd be like, thanks, sis. I needed that wisdom. Oh, I love your wisdom. Mm. Oh, this is such good wisdom. Man, this is the kind of wisdom that, oh, man, I just so resonate with that kind of wisdom. I'm like, Mm. you know, and so sometimes you try to like, tell people who you are but people will tell you who you are like they'll be like this is what i'm getting from you this is what happens when i i receive uh content from you uh a gentleman i spoke to he put it like this he says you are like leaded keys on the piano he said i'm not talking about those casio keyboard keys you know that kind of light type of thing he said but i'm talking about those leaded keys that when you hit it it resonates in a way that just kind of that just fills the room in a very different way he said the content that you put up is like leaded piano keys and it just resonates in a way that is so grounded and so real and so down to earth and hits you right in your heart. He said, it's, it's rare. And I love it. I was like, I'll take that brother. That, yeah. Yeah, it's a visual. I love it. I, love it. I, I, I like that. Yeah. There, it's robust. The sound when you have a, a, a real keyboard with the leaded keys. Well, Dr. Shantae, right. this has been fascinating. It's been very enjoyable. And, and, I, when you were speaking, I'm taking a page of notes. This is all from your man, words. And I'm you serious. Social media and be like, man, Dr. Sanchez, <laughs> you know, this is I, I love your said. You you said kills me dead. Keyboard courage. Employer. This is the best one. I mean, I saw this. It's like, and, and this is a quote, and please forgive me if I misquote you, but you said. I can treat my job as an employer or as an investor. And I'm using that as an investor. And that's just a mindset. It's just a, it's such a beautiful way of looking at it. It's like, no, this is, they're investing in me so I can do whatever. That's not my job. That's, they're not. And and just that, that mind switch right there just gives your, your whole nine to five a different perspective. So I want to thank you. I appreciate you for your time, your wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> your wisdom for Dre and Smiley's listeners. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. And just to add <laughs> to that, you. you know, Dr. Shante, it's interesting. There's, there's, there's certain people you just feel like you have a connection with, right? Uh, you never really understand it. It seems authentic. Uh, talking with you, I feel like I was talking to an old friend. Uh, your energy is infectious. Uh, I really did beat it when I said I could, I wish I could join one of your classrooms. Cause I, I can only imagine 
you know, all of us, you know, undergrad, we had that one teacher that, that was just like fun to go to, you know, yes. whoever it was, whatever subject it was, just like, I can't wait to get there. And you, yes. you definitely appear to, 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 to be that one professor. Uh, I'm looking forward to see what you do in the future. I'm definitely going to keep following you on social media. And for those that are interested in following Dr. Shante, uh, she's at least on Instagram. You have to let us know where else you are. Uh, under Dr. Shante says, S H A N T E is how you spell Shante. Dr. Sh- at Dr. Shante says, um, you can see her on those social or on Instagram. Where else are you? What other socials are you on? Across all platforms at Dr. Shante says. Um, and so you can find me primarily uh, on Instagram, TikTok too, um, for the time being until the government takes TikTok away. But you know, you can yeah. find me there as well. <laughs> awesome. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me.